The Bible from 30,000 feet, soaring through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Hi, all. Pastor Skip is um, traveling. I was asked to fill in this evening. My name is Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here. I work a lot with the Calvary College, so I'm advertising. And we are in a series that Pastor Skiff has been teaching called The Bible from 30,000 Feet. Tonight, we are going to do the New Testament from 30,000 miles. So we'll be covering the New Testament tonight. I'm going to ask you to do the following. If you have your Bibles out, if you have your phone out, if you have your notepads out, if you have your pens out, put them down. Just put them down. We are going to enter my classroom. We are going to do interactive learning. This is a whole different thing. You're not used to it, so I have to say no whining. (laughs) Father, we are about to look at your word. We're about to look at a lot of your word in a very short period of time. Make a difference in our lives because we spent time with you. It's not about the information. It's about the information being a bridge that we see you and hear you and see us in the light of you. And therefore, Lord, are transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. Bless us with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I will be taking my hands and going like this. And going like this. If I go like this, it means book. If I go like this, it means key word. Every Bible book has a name. And there is a key word. So let us begin. Do you see the mat with a U on it? The mat with a U. Now, what book do you think a mat with a U stands for? Matthew. Sitting on the throne is a king. The book of Matthew is about King Jesus. Matthew had been a tax collector called by Jesus around the Sea of Galilee to be a disciple. Eventually would write this gospel called Matthew and he would write it to a Jewish audience. Over and over again, Matthew would say, and it was written in the prophets or it fulfilled the prophets. So the book is, the key word is king. King. Okay. All right. So Jesus is portrayed the lion of the tribe of Judah. The genealogy goes back. Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has come as the Messiah to the Jewish people. He will rule and he will reign. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, which meant that he was kind of into mathematics. <laughs> Get it? Get it, Matt? 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 Okay. He, probably the most famous quote. So who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah of Israel. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father who is in heaven... And I say to you that I will give you the keys of the kingdom. 
because it's upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the book ends going beyond the Jews. Jesus in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, all the people, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Plural, interesting. Name, one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Can we say Trinity? I am with you always. So, the book of is about the... All right. Oh, there's an M on an ark. Mark. And there is a serve ant. Jesus, the servant. And entering the Reformation is a Protestant. Okay. All right. Let me, let me, okay. Uh, an ant that's sorry for their sin is repent ant. Okay. There we go. We're getting government employee, a civil serve. All right. We'll just stop on those. Mark was an action book. Not a lot of words. Mark actually wrote Peter's gospel. Now, if you look at Peter, he was one of those always getting in trouble. You know, I'm going to kill this person. Let's call down fire from heaven. Let's, let's, you know, Peter was always getting in trouble for acting too soon. Mark is actually writing for Peter. And so, and then, and immediately, and then. Not a lot of stuff going on. Now, the Roman culture was all about what's next, what's next. What's next? They didn't want to think about it. They just, you know, they, they were action movie people. They weren't love story stuff. It's like, let's go do something right now. It's about Jesus Christ moving the bull, Jesus, place to place to place. I'm here to seek and to save. I am here to serve. I am the servant. I have come to seek and to serve I am not here to do my will, but to do his will. That's what the book of Mark is all about. And immediately he did this, and immediately he did this, and immediately he did this. It's all about the serving of Jesus Christ as the example of being a servant. Jesus would more or less finish his ministry on earth by saying, you know that the rulers of this world, they seek to rule over you, but it shall not be like that among you. I have been among you as your servant. He had just washed their feet. He had just done these things. He says, therefore, he that is least among you, he that serves among you, he's greater. It's about Jesus serving. And you know what? I'm going to go do God's will. And it doesn't matter about anything because immediately I'm going to go do this. Nothing's going to get in my way. We're going to accomplish this. We're going to do what God wants now. So the book is Mark. We'll try that one more time. Okay. The book is and it's about the All right. Now, this is the second of three synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic, which means seen alike. They all kind of start at the same time in Jesus' life. They, they trace his Galilean ministry, his Perean ministry, and his Judean ministry. There are three main ministries of Jesus on earth during his earthly ministry. And they start about the same time. They allot about the same amount of time to each area and they end about the same time. So they cover the same timeline and the same geography. So they're seen alike, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They add some details here. Not a lot of details in this one. Mark's about action. Matthew's about long sermons showing that he's the Messiah. 
And now we have, oh, Luke. <laughs> He's looking. He's looking at, at so, so looking, that would be at the perfect man. Perfect man. See the 10? He's dressed up. <laughs> Get it? Dressed. Dressed. Oh, no, no, no. He's dressed up. The book of Luke is written by Dr. Luke. He was not a Jew. He's the man who starts it by saying, I have investigated from the beginning, O most excellent Theophilus. He is the scholar of scholars. He's writing on... Every Greek student hates Luke. He writes on a level and uses words that you just stop it. You know, the guy is brilliant. But he doesn't trace the genealogy so much to David. He traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. Because this is the book that Jesus is the son of man. He's the perfect man. It's written for the Greeks. What's the perfect man? What does the perfect man look like? Who would he be if he were to show up? So the perfect man came to seek and save that which is lost. The book of Luke is written for a Greek audience. It's actually got more words in it. Luke and Acts. This is a trick question I do in the school. Luke and Acts have more words than all of Paul. So you say, who wrote the most in the New Testament? People say, Paul. No, Luke. Luke. Jesus is the perfect man. So the book is, and the key word is, all right, we are doing good so far. This is a J that is on. John, you got it. Yo, man, hey, fist bump from a distance. We got this. Okay, John, it's about, what's he painting? There's a son of God. The book of John is about the son of God. It is not a synoptic gospel. It doesn't have any parables. It doesn't have any public discourses. It's completely different. It starts and gives just a little tiny bit of Jesus' beginning, and then it switches and gives about 80% of the gospel just the last week of Jesus' life. And most of that is just the last 24 hours. It's one-on-one discourses where he's training his disciples. It is the one the Greek students love because it is the simplest of all Greeks. It was also written about 90 A.D., Remember, the Jewish temple was destroyed in 70. By the time John is writing this, that whole Jewish influence of the Judaizers and stuff you see battled early on, that's over. What's happening now is something called the Gnostics. It was a Greek philosophy that taught a whole bunch of bad stuff. But one of the big things was they said Jesus never came in the flesh. So how does John open up? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. Take that, you Gnostics. (laughs) Jesus is the son of God. And in this book, he's not so much building the themes around messages. He's building it around Jesus' identity. He will say that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the water of life. It's built along the identity of Jesus being God incarnate. And the book ends by John saying, if all the things that Jesus said and done were written, 
I don't think the world could contain the books. But these were written that you might believe. So it has a lot of one-on-one -on -one communications. Nicodemus, the religious leader. Samaritan woman, the prostitute. Well, not prostitute. The woman who had been married multiple times and now is just living with the guy. Because nobody else would have her. It was all one-on-one -on -one stuff. This is the book we usually give to young believers and say, read this. Or do any of you have Catholic family or friends? You know, and they want to talk to you about Protestantism and how wrong you are? You know, some, some might. Okay. I have found you never battle Catholicism. You say, we all believe in the Bible. Let's read John together. We'll read chapter 1. We'll get together next week. Tell me what you think. They get the words of Jesus like the religious leader saying, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters whether you believe. Let Jesus do the work. Don't, don't be obnoxious. So this book is, John. and it's about the, John. oh, by the way, there's a test later. So just, I'm not kidding. Oh, what is that laying next to the tree? The, the book of Acts. All right. It's about the growth of the church. Cutting edge church, except for the splinter groups. The book of Acts begins with Jesus having ascended, the Holy Spirit falling, and the birth of the church. And then it goes 30 years later, and the book ends. It covers 30 years. From a handful of people cowering in an upper room to northern Africa, Egypt, the entire Middle East as we know it, Asia Minor, Mesopotamia, and all of Europe. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of believers and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fellowships in 30 years. So the accusation, these men who have turned the world upside down have now come here. What happened? How did this grow? Who did this? The book of Acts is all about the growth of the church. Sometimes they made mistakes. You'll see that too. It's about Peter in Jerusalem. It's about Judea and Samaria when the persecution starts and it's to the uttermost parts of the earth. How could they change the world in 30 years? Some of us have been along twice that. I'm lucky to change my shoes right. <laughs> what did they do? Hmm. The book is, and the key word is, growth, growth of the church. We'll try it again. Oh, look, that guy's holding a row, and he's a man. Roman. <laughs> it's a row man. And, and, and then he goes up to pay the bill, and it's, Paid in full. The book of Romans means your debt is paid in full. So, this is a letter written by Paul to Rome. He's never been to Rome. He's on his last missionary journey, third missionary journey. He's planning on going to Rome and then from Rome going, continuing on and doing more missionary work beyond that. So he's writing this letter. It is so systematic. He uses what's called a rabbinic method. It's all about, this is what happened. And if this happened, well, then what about this? 
So this is what that means. Well, if that's true, then what about this? The whole book is a rabbinic treatise on how can a holy, just God justify wretched sinners. Since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is the conclusion of chapter 3, how can God justify you? How does that work? What happens? Martin Luther was a monk who suffered depressions. He would spend hours in confession, and the priest basically said, you know, get away. Okay, well, no, here comes Martin Luther. I'm just, oh, where's the five-hour energy? I'm gonna, so Martin Luther would come in and confess and confess and confess and confess. And, and for one of the penance, it was like, go and translate the book of Romans from Greek into German. <laughs> like, he was always doing penance. And he's doing the book of Romans, and he hits this verse that says, the just shall live by faith. Huh? I've been doing and all the stuff that, that, that I got to do. And that verse, boom! I was like, oh, you mean if I believe I'm saved? You mean the stuff doesn't matter? It's the faith in Christ? And it just blew his world away. And so he started thinking through it. And he came up with a whole bunch of ideas. He wrote down 95 of them. And they called it 95 Thesis. And he was teaching in a little podunk town way out in the boonies. And there was this little castle church thing that, the, that they had the college in. He called Wittenberg. So he tacked those 95 points up on the door. It's because of this book and these 95 points. He wasn't trying to do it. He just wanted the other teachers to see it, take their notes. They'd all go home and do some work. They'd come back and talk about it. But lo and behold, Gutenberg, who just invented the printing press, just happened to come by and said, oh, this is interesting. So he published it and spread it everywhere. Oh, my goodness. Now the Pope is mad. So, and Martin Luther's writing all kinds of stuff. And he's like blasting the church, the Catholic church. And they're getting angry with him. So they call him. To, in, if you read it in our words, it's the diet of worms, but it'd be the diet of worms. So they call him to this place, and they said, did you write this stuff? Yes. Recant. Read this. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captivated by the word of God. I cannot, I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe here i stand i do not do anything otherwise god help me amen so they were going to kill him on his way back his friends found out about the kidnapping locked him away in a castle <laughs> so he translated the new testament into german <laughs> the reformation was on I think if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember Nebuchadnezzar sets up a castle of himself, a castle, a statue of himself and says, worship this. We're going to play the instruments. Y'all bow down. Everybody bow down. They were Texans. Y'all bow down. And you worship. And it's, it's pointed out to the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. So they're called into the court. All these people there say, hey, we're going to blow the trumpet. We're going to play the instruments. You're going to bow down. They said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not even, we're not even going to be careful how we answer you. That can get you killed. Said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from your hand. But even if not, king, we won't bow. I said, oh, yeah. Where are those men today? Answer, they're in this room. It's you, it's me. It's the one who says, God said, therefore, let's do it. They weren't trying to be great men. They were just people who got caught up in circumstances and stood for God and changed the world.
Okay, so Romans, paid in full, was the book that sparked Martin Luther and led to the Reformation. Oh, look, that's an Apple Corps Indian. There's one Corps Indian. First Corps in, First Corinthians. So the book is First Corinthians. Ready? Book. And he is spanking the saint. <laughs> so the key word is spanking the saint. First Corinthians. Spanking the saint. Have you ever heard people say, I want a New Testament church? Well, let me tell you about Corinth. There's immorality. There's, there, there's factions. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. There's a man sleeping with his stepmom and say, it's okay. Jesus forgives me. They are self-righteous. I have the gift of tongues. You don't. Therefore, I'm more godly. They weren't loving. They didn't care. They weren't giving. They were fighting. They were saying, God forgives me. I can do anything I want. All kinds of abuse. That's a first century church. If it wasn't for a messed up church, we wouldn't have the New Testament. So Paul is writing a letter to correct them. It's his third missionary journey. The church is all messed up. He writes a letter to say, well, these are the things you asked me, so here are the points. And by the way, let me just kind of tell you what holiness looks like and what you look like. 1 Corinthians, that's good. It's spanking the saints. It's called the Board of Education. <laughs> what? Hi, son. We had one of those. Remember it? It was shaped like a spoon, the one you broke. Okay. So the book is, and it is about spanking the saints. Oh, look, there are two core Indians. Second Corinthians. Okay, so the book is, this is about the anatomy of, see the one sent? He's one who is sent. That makes him an apostle. The anatomy of an apostle. All right. I'm not ribbing you. Paul was a hip guy. Paul had been attacked. He wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, saying, y'all got to get it together. And there's a bunch of people there saying, oh, Paul's just a mean old guy. Paul isn't from God. Paul isn't a really good Christian. You need to follow us and not Paul. And they started attacking him and attacking. And they were attacking a fellow leader, an apostle. I am so glad that we are so mature today that Christians don't attack their fellow Christian leaders. <laughs> because that would just be so wrong. We were so much better. No, I think we're a New Testament church. Sometimes that's not the best thing. But nevertheless, they're attacking Paul, and Paul writes a letter to defend his apostleship. Paul talks about himself, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Jew. I was born in this tribe. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was a Pharisee. And, and, and he lays out his credentials. Sometimes you can lead only to be attacked. I mean, they crucified Jesus. If you lead, someone's going to hurt you. I guarantee it. But one of the things I tell my students, Calvary College, 
Jesus doesn't like it when you slap his fiancée. Stop picking on the other brother and sister. To his own master, he stands or fall. If they bring false teachings into the church, deal with it. But stop attacking other people. And that's what this book is all about. The anatomy of an apostle, one who was attacked, and all he tried to do was bring Jesus to them and help them grow. Any parents here? Have your, parent, have your children ever said anything amiss? All right. Oh, look, a gull sitting on a shiny egg. Gull lay shine. Gull egg shine. The book is Galatians. And you notice how the chains are falling off? He's unshackled. Galatians unshackled. First book of Paul, what was going on is the Christian church is just being birthed and there was a big group called the Judaizers. This is early on, very early on. And they were coming up saying, well, it's good for you to believe in Jesus, but you know, the dietary laws, the holidays, the circumcision, just all this stuff they're trying to throw in. Paul in Galatians says, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than that which you have already received, let them be accursed. Meaning, let them go to H-E double toothpicks. Paul was not. And then he says, as I just said, so I'm going to say again, if they bring any other gospel other than the gospel that I presented, let them be accursed. Paul was not pulling his punches. The book of Galatians was all about the people being gullible. That's a stupid joke. But they were being gullible. And so people were bringing in legalistic stuff. And Paul would say, how is it that those of you who were first saved and perfected in Christ by faith now try to perfect yourself by your own works? Did you receive salvation by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How is it if you began in faith, you're now trying to perfect yourself by works? Peter had messed up. Peter was up there, and he started falling into this Jewish stuff. Paul says, oh, no. He said, I withstood him to his face. Think about this. Paul rebuked Peter in front of the congregation, and then hightailed it on down to Jerusalem, where you get to Acts 15, and they hold a Jerusalem council and say, with all these people who are getting saved that aren't Jewish, what do we demand of them? And they write a letter that basically says, believe in Jesus. Don't do immorality stuff. Abstain from the meats that are sacrificed to the idols. Other than that, have a great time. Nothing about the law, nothing about, just keep your faith. Don't be immoral. The book of Galatians was the turning point between do we keep Judaism and Christianity or is Jesus sufficient? That's when the battle was fought and won in the New Testament theological church. It's still being fought today. And there are people who add all kinds of stuff. But salvation. So the book is Galatians, and it's about being unshackled. All right. It's an e-fishing. Ephesians. And look, there's a bodybuilder. 
Got it? So it's about body building. Ephesians? Bodybuilding. That worm is creepy. <laughs> okay, so. Paul is writing a letter from prison. There are four prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. So Paul is writing a letter, and it is one of his most loving, caring letters. He's not rebuking stuff that's wrong with the church. Oh, he'll point out some stuff that's, that's amiss. But he's going to spend the time saying, you're the body of Christ. He raised you up with him to be in, in heavenly places. You are his bride. There is no Jew or Greek. You are his beloved, his workmanship, his poema. And he'll point out this is a mystery, the church. It's a mystery. That's the big part about the first three chapters. The church is a mystery that was not explained or understood in the Old Testament. The church is the mystery because it's the bride of Christ. There is no bride of Christ in the Old Testament. There's an adulterous wife of Jehovah. The New Testament is the virgin bride of Christ. It's a different group of people. He raised you up. You're seated with him. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And then he takes the last three chapters and says, Therefore, because Christ is in you, it means Christ will live through you. This is what I call the but God book. He'll start out by saying, And you were lost. And you were in sin. And you were hopeless. And you were helpless. And you were without God. But God, with his great love wherewith he loved us, has done these things. And then you were falling and you were failing. But God. He just over and over. But God. But God. Ephesians is a love letter that's more of a sermon to an area. It wasn't so much to Ephesus. It was one of those cyclical letters. He said, take this, have the pastor read it in the pulpit, and then pass it off to the next church. And let them read it. And then pass it off to the next church. And let them read it. So maybe we should read it sometime. It's a good book. Okay. Anyway. So the book is, it's about bodybuilding. This is one of the best books. To, you know, after they read John, the new believer, read John. Okay, now read Ephesians. That's usually the order I will give a new believer. Read John, read Ephesians. Oh, look, he's flipping an N. Philippians. Flipping N, Philippians. So the book is? And he is humming. He is a humble. So the key word is? Humble. Humble. And notice he's got a tattoo that says, eat fish. I just, you know. Hey, you know what you call a sleeping cow? <laughs> a bulldozer. <laughs> no, a cow with no legs is ground beef. And if they have two legs, they're called lean ground beef. <laughs> this is a book about being content while suffering. Paul's in prison. Paul doesn't know, live or die. Everything Paul has been taken. He said, I have learned to be abased and how to abound. I have learned to have plenty and to suffer want. But I have learned more than that. In whatever state I'm in, I have learned to be content. It also has one of the greatest theological passages in the Bible. Chapter 2, 
has something called the kenosis. There's a Greek word, kenoo, kenosis. It's translated various ways, and depending on whether it's a verb or a noun, or used this way, the, the, the word's a little bit, but it's basically kenosis. Paul says, Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he was in a form that was equal to God, did not count his equality with God something to be held on to. It's often translated grasp, but it's not like grasp after. It's held, grasped, but humbled himself and was made in the fashion of a man. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, giving him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess of everything under the earth, on the earth, and over the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Boom! It's a fantastic verse about the deity of Christ. What's really interesting is actually Paul was quoting an Old Testament passage from Isaiah. It says, and when the Lord comes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess of those things under the earth, in the earth, and over the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jehovah is. Jehovah is. All Paul did was he took a Jehovah's verse and put Jesus' name in it. It's kind of like Paul thought Jesus was God or something. Well, it did start saying even though he was equal with God, did not count his equality with God, something to be held on to. I mean, that's a pretty clear verse. The book of Philippians, Paul is in jail. It's a prison epistle. The people have sent him some money because they're kind of in jail house arrest, so he needs to pay the bill. It wasn't paid for by the state. You either had the money to have dinner or you fasted. It was one of those situations. So the Philippian church is helping him out. This is a thank you letter to them. But he points out, it's okay to be humble. It's okay to lose it all. Because you don't know what's on the other side. Jesus resurrected. Jesus got up. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Just because I'm humbled at this point doesn't mean that God doesn't have greatness going on the next chapter. Be content. Trust him. So the book is, and it's about humble. Oh, it is a collision. Collisions. And it's about a commander and chief. Commander and chief. Colossians, commander and chief. Another prison epistles, but this time there's a problem in the church. Remember that thing I mentioned earlier, the Gnostics? Well, the Gnostic philosophy was creeping in, and they were teaching three really, really bad things. One, Jesus never came in the flesh. It was just kind of like this spirit thing that kind of walked around and he walked on the beach but never left footprints because the flesh is evil. Bad, 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 bad flesh. So Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Two, 
It doesn't matter what you do in the flesh. You can just do whatever you want because, you know, flesh is going to burn anyway. So wine, women's song, it's okay because, you know, I mean, I believe my spirit is forgiven so I can do what I want in my body. It was a heresy called antinomianism against the law. So Jesus didn't come in the flesh because the flesh is evil so you can do whatever you want because God's going to forgive you anyway. And... Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis. So they're basically saying, and we have this secret knowledge, so it doesn't matter what the disciples wrote in these letters or said, because you don't understand them. You don't have the secret knowledge that we have. So we'll tell you what's up. Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, and do whatever you want. So this is a big heresy in the early church. Hey, there are people today who said, you know, do whatever you want. doesn't matter. I'll be forgiven. So Paul writes this letter to correct this and says, in Jesus dwells the fullness of God bodily. Uh-oh. You mean he didn't come in the flesh? Then he talks about holy living. If you've been raised up with him, live holy like he lives. Uh-oh. You mean it matters? <laughs> so the book of Colossians was a rebuke of heresy. It's a little town called Colossae, and he was slamming the heretics. This was a crash course on how to relate to one another. See, the crash course. How the commander, Jesus, is the chief, and you better do what he says. It's not about you having secret knowledge. It's about what Jesus said. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. I've heard people, you can interpret the Bible any way you want. How many ways do you interpret, do not lie? Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not commit murder. I, how many different ways can I interpret something? So you, the Bible's pretty plain. There are some areas that are hard, but a lot of it is pretty easy. It was um, a comedian, Will Rogers, said, it's not the stuff in the Bible that I can't understand that bothers me. It's the stuff that I understand. <laughs> so maybe I don't understand that part. But enough of this plain, you know. Most of what makes me feel guilty is when I'm not doing what I know I'm supposed to. Well, you don't even want to go there. Because the book is, and it's about the, yes. Have you heard of a kaleidoscope? <laughs> they, no, never mind. Some of you have. Oh, look. It's, a, it, it's a, a thistle and an onion. Thistle onion. A thistle is a weed, and an onion is yummy. If you grill it, you know, it's yum. A thistle onion. And, and they're slipping. They're trying to stay on target. So the book is First Thessalonians, and it's stay on target. This one actually brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> Okay, uh, no, it's, all right. It's one of the most encouraging books Paul has written. When he had founded this particular fellowship, he didn't have a whole lot of time there before persecutors came and he had to run. So there were basically a lot of young Christians. I'm going to say young, like three, four weeks old in the Lord. And, and this fellowship is, is growing out of this. And it's become one of the most loving, caring, awesome little churches and they're being attacked. And Paul is just trying to comfort them. People have brought in some false teachings. They said, oh, the day of the Lord already came. 
Jesus already came back. It's t- sorry about that. <laughs> yes, he just, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's over there. <laughs> You're not. It's, it's, it was just really a, t- t- some, t- they were being hurt. They had some false teachers teaching some bad stuff. And Paul's just trying to encourage them. Persecution has been coming. So Paul is writing to say, look, the Lord's return isn't going to happen until these things happen. By the way, when he sh- shows up, there's not going to be any question about it. Because when he comes back, it's going to be like the whole world blows up. It's, it's, this, is not a, this is not a little thing. And, and, and your faith is great. And, and your love is great. And your caring for one another is great. Just keep it up. Just, you know, you might have some false teachers. Just forget them. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Have you ever been doing what you know you're supposed to do and other people are trying to get you to do the wrong thing? That's what was going on. So Paul writes this, almost like father, child, just do what you know you're supposed to do. Stop, stop letting these people influence you. They're wrong anyway. God's going to judge them. Just keep loving each other. Keep growing in your love. Keep growing in your knowledge of him. Just stop. Stop it. You know, when these people come in and they tell you you're not good enough, you say, I am to Jesus. When they come in and say, it doesn't work for you, it's like, well, he saved me. When they come in and they try to argue all these things, it's like, look, this I know. I once was lost and now I'm found. I don't have to have all that theology stuff. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That'll get me to heaven. I'm not opposed to the theology stuff. After all, I'm... But, it's like, keep it simple. Live for Jesus. Love like Jesus loved. Don't get caught up in the arguments. Don't worry about all those people who all they want to do is, you know, they didn't say grace right. You know, it's like, oh, so what? (laughs) At least they were thankful. And you're critical. I'm going to hang out with the fun people. I like lemonade with sugar. So the book is 1 Thessalonians. Paul's just saying, stay on target. Love Jesus, love each other. Don't worry about all those other... He didn't use the word jerks, but, you know, and someone's going to say, I'm going to get a letter for this. Don't worry about the jerks. <laughs> so I'll probably, you shouldn't say that from the pulpit. Like, okay. Um, I said it. The book is 1 Thessalonians, and it's about stay on target. Oh. It's two thistle onions. Second Thessalonians. And look, he's on a weight scale. And he's watching it. The original Weight Watchers. No, it's... um, He is working while he's waiting. It's work while you wait. So, second Thessalonians, work while you wait. You ready? Okay, so these people have continued to mess with the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church is, 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 is having some issues, and some people are just saying, well, you know what? I don't need to work, because you know, the Lord's coming back any time, and so I'm just going to sit here, and, and I'm going to charge up my credit card, you know, and, and I'm going to, because, you know, hey, might as well have steak and lobster, right? Well, not, not if you're Jewish, but you can, you can and so we're going to live, we're going to just stop working, and we're going to be idle, and we're just going to hang out, because Jesus is coming back, and, you know, if Jesus is coming back in a week, why should I go to work? I don't feel like changing tires. I haven't seen the Bahamas yet. You know? So so there was this laziness that was creeping in. So Paul, 
is writing to say, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. If you're just a lazy busybody going around people's houses, you're not following Jesus. Now, I've been laid off. I've, I've been out of work when I wanted to work. I'm not trying to slam anybody who wants to and tries. For men, it's devastating to want to work and they can't. So I understand that. I've been down that road. I'm talking about somebody who chooses not to work when they can't. I'm talking about somebody who'd rather go around and hang out and, 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 and just be lazy when they have all the ability to be productive. So this church was getting that group, and Paul is writing this saying, you need to work while you're waiting. Yes, the Lord is coming back, but go to work. I mean, after all, how do you change the world sitting in your living room playing Pac-Man? That was my generation. <laughs> I say, sorry, Tetris. <sighs> I come to other people now, and they say things like, it's like, that's a game? Yeah, I, I don't. It's not, I'm not opposed to gaming, I just don't. I don't have time. I do have time for football. But. And my team's going to win. Okay, so the book is 2 Thessalonians about work while you wait. Ready? Oh, it's a moth wearing a tie. It's a tie moth. There's one tie moth. First, Timothy. And notice how he's kind of like pointing and leaning. While he's looking at the manual, it's a leadership manual. First Timothy, leadership manual. Ready? This one bugs me a little bit, but they're dressed up because they're going to a ball, a moth ball, and, and where they have larva lamps and stuff. So, larva lamps. It is a leadership manual. Paul is in prison. They don't call this a prison epistle. They call the prison epistles Ephesians, uh, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, and Philemon. But Paul is in prison in Rome. This is a house arrest. Paul had been arrested at the end of his third missionary journey, went to Jerusalem, winds up in Rome. From this house arrest prison, before he goes on trial, not knowing if he's going to live or die, he writes two letters. He'll be released do some missionary work. He'll be rearrested and then write 2 Timothy just before he dies. So this letter is being written by Paul, not knowing if he's going to live or die. By 2 Timothy, he says, not only do I know I'm going to die, but it's going to be uh, next Thursday at 3. I mean, it was, it, was, it was very different. So he's got this young pastor called Timothy in a place called Ephesus, church Paul had planted. And he's saying, Timothy... Don't let anyone despise your youth. Be a man. Grow up. Preach the word. Live your life with conduct. Stop getting depressed. God called you. Don't let people say you're not it. Be it. Paul is telling this young man how to be the pastor. He's just saying, man up, Timothy. It's time to man up. You're not a little boy anymore. Don't let anyone despise you. Be sound in your doctrine. Be correct in your speech. Don't get frustrated. And by the way, don't try to do it alone. 
Here's a whole list of the leadership qualities. Go get these leaders and put them in place. Train them. They need to be above reproach. They need to be in the whole list. This is the list that we use for deacon training. This is the list in, in chapter 2 that we use to, to qualify pastors. This is the list. It says, you want to be a leader in a church? 1 Timothy chapter 2. Check it out. So Paul is writing to this young man. says, if I'm detained, if I don't get there right away, you need to know how to conduct yourself in the church. You need to... Preach the word. You need to be in season and out of season preaching the word. You need to conduct yourself above reproach. And you need to surround yourself with godly leadership. Paul is passing the baton to the next generation. Paul doesn't know if he's going to come out here. But he's saying it's time. It's time for you to step up. It's time to step up. So 1 Timothy is a leadership manual. Ready? 1 Timothy, Oh, look, it's two time-offs. And there's a calm bat looking at a manual. It's a combat manual. Combat. After you've, after you've recovered from the laughter, yeah. yeah just, all right, so what do we got going on here? We've got 2 Timothy. Paul's about to die. It's not just... Hey, this, he says, I'm being poured out. I'm, I'm about, he knows he's going to die. The sentence is given. He's about to be executed. Suffer hardship with me, Timothy. Persevere under persecution. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. As a soldier follows his leader, follow God. And Timothy, this is like my favorite verse. The things that you have learned among me and many witnesses, teach those to young men that they will teach others also. Pass the legacy, Timothy. I gave it to you. I'm no longer here. I'm gone. It's time for you to pass the legacy. The goal is for you to develop your ministry. The goal is for you to develop people to do the ministry of the church of God. It's not about them. Because every leader goes at some point. It's about developing the next generation. It's always about pouring into somebody else. So Paul is writing his goodbye letter and says, this is a combat manual. This isn't about sitting back in a nice, pretty little building. This is about fighting for your life and the life of the church. (gasps) He's tossing a tie. It's a tie toss. Titus. Okay. And it's a duck who's a con. So it's about a conduct manual. Titus, conduct manual. Titus was another young man like Timothy, but he is left on an island in Crete. And if you read about the Cretans, it's not, I'm not calling somebody a name. That's, you know, the, the people who lived on Crete were called Cretans, uh, which is actually a bad word. Moral bankruptcy. I'm not even going to try to go into how bad it was, but they would make Corinth look holy. The Cretans were really bad, really, really bad. So Paul says, so I left you in Crete. Oh, thanks, Paul. So you would set it in order and appoint elders. Somebody has to be the example. 
Somebody has to stand up and says, I will not follow the world's ways. I will follow God's way. And when they see me, I'm not compromised. I'm not living that way. Titus, you need to show the world what a man of God, what a woman of God looks like. Titus, you need to conduct yourself according to holiness. Titus, you need to conduct yourself according to the things of God. He would even say in there, the Cretans are always liars whose God is their belly. I mean, Paul's slamming this group. Morality-wise, oh my goodness. Every girl, once she hit age, had to spend a few years as a temple prostitute before they were allowed to marry. They would talk about the historians that all the females in this culture had hollow, empty eyes. And they didn't just do it to the girls. Their souls were ripped out. Saying, no, Titus, you need to set this in order. You need to stand. And society is going to persecute you. Because you're going to stand for God's holiness. But that's okay. Conduct yourself. So the book is, it's a, oh, look, it's a file of lemons. Philemon. All right. And they came from bondage to brotherhood. Bondage to brotherhood. So Philemon, bondage to brotherhood. It's, it's, it's a very bitter time. Basically, this is a postcard from Paul to somebody. A slave had fled, stolen some money, showed up in Rome, and, and, and got saved and found Paul and said, no, now what do I do? I mean, if I go home, if they're going to kill me. So Paul wrote a letter and said, hey, don't kill him. <laughs> Bring him back. Family trumps culture. Family trumps society. Family of God trumps. So Paul is writing a letter basically saying, please spare his life. I'll pay his debt. Oh, by the way, if it wasn't for me, you'd be going to hell. <laughs> so you owe me anyway. It's a very nice letter, but it's very exact. He said, and, and why don't you send him back because, you know, he, he, he ministers. So that's Philemon. It is Philemon, bondage to brotherhood, from being a slave to being a brother. <gasps> oh, look, he's pouring. It's a Hebrew. He, he, brew. See, coffee, he, brew. Hebrew. The book of Hebrews is adding milk to meat. Milk to meat. Milk to meat. It's before 70 AD. The Jewish people are getting saved all around this Jerusalem area, but a bunch of them are getting persecuted by their fellow Jews for trying to believe in Jesus and, and not keep the law. So they're going back and keeping the law. And, and the whole book of Hebrews says Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Go forward and eat meat. Don't go back to milk. It's a rebuke for going back because people don't pick on you if you conform. This is the greatest book, by the way, for um, your Jewish friends. And I don't want to milk this one any more than that. Uh, it's a J taking aim. James. And it's a gauge. A faith gauge. Faith gauge. James. Oh, man. Martin Luther called this a book of straw. Hard to eat, hard to digest. 
This book is a slam. It's written to Jews, so to the ten Jews, to the ten tribes scattered abroad. And, and it's written to them, and it's all about faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. He said, you know, you say you believe in God, that's great. The devils believe, but they're burning in hell. And he lays out the different types of faith. He said faith is, one, an agreement that there is a truth. That's the truth. That's what the Christians teach. Okay, so you agree that that's what they teach. Two, you, but I agree that's what they teach, but I don't believe it. I know people who can say, oh, this is what the Christians say, but I don't believe it. So you agree with what they teach. Faith, too, is I agree that it's true. You know, there's sin, there's righteousness. I need to follow Christ. I need to repent. I agree that it's true. James says the devil believes that it's true. The devil believes that it's true. It makes no difference. He says your faith must have repentant obedience because faith without works, repentance, obedience is dead. It's the broad path leading to destruction, Jesus would talk about, not the narrow path leading to salvation. He's slamming them for saying, I believe, but not repenting. He's slamming them for claiming the truth, singing the right songs, reading the right books, going to the right fellowships at the right times, but living like a devil during the week. And saying, that faith will send you to hell. You're no different than a demon. Oh, he's slamming them. Martin Luther said, a pistol of straw. It's hard to chew on. And then he just has all these examples. He says, well, if you do it this, you do it this. You want to know what this looks like? And so the book is all about examples. But the whole key of the book of James is it's a faith gauge. Are you faith one, two, or three? If you're not faith three, Jesus put it another way. I would that you're hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out. I said, well, that's not very loving. I didn't say it. (laughs) Jesus said it. There's a difference between faith one, two, and three. And unfortunately, this church was having a problem with faith three. I am glad we don't today. So the book is? It's about the? All right. Oh, look. It's one P with a tear. First Peter. First P tear. And he has pain with a purpose. Pain with a purpose. Persecution has come. They're killing people. This is about 60 AD. Peter's writing from Rome. Nero is, you hear about Nero? He's the one that starts launching things like lions and stuff and Christians. And so, so Nero's in charge. Things are not good. Persecution is coming. Peter's saying, don't be surprised that this stuff is coming. Don't get shocked that this stuff is coming. It's coming. It's here. You're suffering. It's there. The world is trying to stomp you down. Oh, my goodness. I just looked up and saw the time. Okay, here we go. The world's trying to destroy you. Don't be destroyed. Second Peter. Two Peters. Poison in the pew. Now the persecution's inside. The false teachers are saying, all this false teaching. And, and, And Peter's saying, There's poison in the pew. Stop it. Oh, there's one yawn. First John. It's a fellowship barometer. Got it? Fellowship barometer? First John. Fellowship barometer. Man, if you say you love God and you don't love your brothers, you're a liar. That's what we do. Love God, love one another. 
I love God. I hate you. No, you, you're, you're not. A... Two yawns. Second yawns. Bolt the door. False teachers are going around, traveling around, coming in the church and say, oh, give me more money and stuff like that. I said, just lock the door. They come in, they're bringing false teachers, just lock the door. Let them... Can't hear you. Just don't accept false teachers. So, second John, bolt the door. Three yawns. Third John, open the door. Hey, when I was growing up, they said, were you born in a barn? I, here's a smart-off answer. Trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> let the good teachers come in. Keep the bad teachers out. Let the bad ones, have the good ones in. Oh, look, it's Judo. Jude. And he's fighting for the faith. I am writing that you contend for the faith once for all given to the faith. Uh, once for all given to the saints. Fight for the faith. Don't you say, well, I believe it. Fight. Revealing. And it's coming events. Oh, the book of Revelation. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things that will come after these things. Blessed is he who reads and he who hears the words of this prophecy. The things that are seen are Jesus Christ. The things that are, are the seven churches of Asia in chapters 2 and 3. The things that are coming begin in chapter 4. After these things, I was caught up into heaven. And then you got a whole bunch of chapters about the judgments on the earth. And then chapter 19. And then Jesus comes back. And he sets up a kingdom. And he judges Satan. And he judges the world. And he destroys the world. And he sends death and Hades into hell. And he begins a new heaven and earth. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It ends. And here comes the test. Are you ready for a test? Here it is. Need the worship team out? Luke, perfect man, dressed up. There we go. Yeah, first Corinthians, speaking the saints. Galatians, unshackled. There we go. Philippians. Oh my goodness, we're good. Yeah, first Thess- first Thessalonians. Stay on target. Good. Second Thessalonians. Wait, watchers. Work, work while you wait. First Timothy. Leadership manual. Love to that again. First Timothy. Titus, Philemon, bondage to brotherhood. Okay. Hebrews. Be like Jesus.
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace. Would you please stand unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before the presence of his glory, blameless, spotless, with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, to him alone be the glory and the honor and the majesty and the power both now and forever. Amen. For more resources, visit calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from the Bible from 30,000 feet.